follow me carefully this morning. Romans chapter 12, I read from verse 17 to 21. That's our opening text for this morning. Loving the unlovable, swallowing the bitter pill. It's the love clinic at the Elevation Church, and I welcome everyone. Romans 12 and verse 17. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. That sounds like a commandment to me or an instruction. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Lord bless the reading of his word. From this passage of the scripture, it's important to note some vital truths. One is that God defined his assignment and my assignment. As regards loving the unlovable and handling hatred and handling people who will have, you know, some expectations of you that you cannot meet. Some people will go out of their way to hurt you. This is how God, God gave some instructions. And I love the way he put it across. He said, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Say, beloved, do not avenge yourself. Do not avenge yourself. That's an instruction. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. My assignment. And I don't want you to join me. It's strictly for me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I am called the judge of the universe. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. So when it comes to vengeance, leave it for me. When it comes to repaying people, leave it for me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now this is your own assignment. Says if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Your assignment, and that's the that's the toughest part of it. Why didn't God take down one and give us the other one? I know I'm speaking to somebody here this morning who feels God. You are not good at vengeance. You sit in heaven. You don't even know evil. You don't know how to do evil. Leave us here with it. Let us deal with them. So that's what some people are saying. Leave us. I <laughs> God, God said, this is my assignment and this is your assignment. If your enemy is hungry, feed him the assignment. Somebody say, I accept. I know it's tough now, but you, you, you warm up to it gradually. Yeah, this is bitter pills that were swallowing this morning. All right? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Say, I accept. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Say, I accept. That is your assignment. Recommended by God. Now, he said, what I'm good at is vengeance. What I'm good at is to repay. You desist from repaying. I have enough credited into my account to repay everyone. But most of the time, we like to swap roles with God. And we said, God, you are the God. You created everybody. You love them. You give them water. Give them food if they are hungry. But me, vengeance. I want to repay. Is that not what we say? Even if we don't say them literally. That's how 
we, we love to take that position. And being saved won't change anything. In fact, there's some school of thoughts in Christianity that actually encourage, or, you know, encourages you, 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 in one way or the other. There's some encouragement that comes from that school of thought that says, take vengeance and do it. God said, is in so doing, said, in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Said, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And like I said, some of us really feel that God doesn't understand what he's, what he's talking about here. That it's actually better. The God of love should focus on food and water. Why man that is evil focus on evil? I hope you understand what I'm saying. That, that makes sense, isn't it? Yeah. Because we know how to hurt people more than God. That's our assumption. And you see, a lot of the time, the reason why we allow hurts, bitterness, you know, seeds of discord to perpetuate themselves is that we feel... That the only way for us to feel some sense of relief is when we have vengeance in our hand. Some people say, until justice is done, I will not let go. Who knows how to do justice the most? God. Because in our part, pursuing justice, sometimes we get ourselves into more trouble. And God says, I want to protect you. I want to heal you. Let me do my job, and then you do your job. Let me do my job, and then you do your job. And I understand this morning, like I said before, that this is not going to be easy, but please follow me. Follow me carefully. Follow me carefully. Let's, let's look at this unlovable people that we're talking about. Then I'll come back to this. Let's look at this unlovable people that we're talking about. Some people are just simply... Easier to love than others. Am I saying the truth? Just simply easier to love than some other people. Anyhow you place it, some people are just much more easier to love than some other kinds of people. Let's examine the kind of people that Jesus had around him and how easy it was for him to love them truly. John 13, I'll read from verse 1 to 5. John 13, verse 1 to 5. This was just before Jesus would be crucified. Let's, let's check out this experience. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, look at this, he loved them to the end. How? And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel, and guarded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was guarded. Now, let's quickly look into what Jesus experienced as regards loving the unlovable. The Bible says, when the hour came for him to depart the world, and he knew he was going to be crucified, he knew what was going to befall him, he had an idea of what it was going to look like. What he did was to love the people around him and the Bible says that he loved them till the end. Now, let me demonstrate what that looks like. 
Jesus told his disciples, let me show some love, some acts of kindness, and wash your faith. And all of them, perhaps lined up according to hierarchy, and then they were coming. And the Bible says he knew that Judas, the devil had already entered into him. As at that time, he had collected the money, I think. Or maybe he was planning to go and collect the money. But whichever way, he had decided that he was going to hurt him. And Jesus knew he was going to hurt him. And it was going to be big time hurt, landmark hurt, the one that would take him out of the world. If I were the one. I got into the place. I got the towel and everything. I know how to do good. But I will single out that guy. Idiot, come this way. You are not one of the people I <laughs> In fact, for some of us, the guy will have been arrested. Am I saying the truth? You get him arrested. You know your traitor. The one who will, you know, bring you to the end of everything. The one who wants to collapse your business and your ministry. The one who wants to get you sacked. And Jesus looked at him and still approached him, washed his feet. Right there. I mean, we're talking about Judas. I don't know how much expectation Jesus had of him, but he must have been hurting by just think, thinking that this guy who walked the road of Jerusalem, Bethany, Bethphage, Jericho, everywhere with me for three and a half years. And yet, I don't know. See, when you open the mind of Judas and his brain, what do you see there? It's darkness. This was, must have been outraged by, you know, just thinking about that. But it is, the Bible says he loved to the end, end, to the cross. Peter, the head of the unit, the class captain, God gave him an insight into what Peter was going to do. And yet, <laughs> in Luke 22, when you read from uh, verse 31 to 34, Jesus predicted uh, uh, Peter's denier. And he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, that means you will depart from me. Am I saying the truth? Jesus knew Peter was going to backslide and was going to deny him. When you have returned to me, King James says, when you have been converted, that means you are going to be disconnected and you have to repent and be... Re and so when he said, I prayed for you that your faith will not fail, what he was actually saying was that your faith will fail, but you will come back. Yeah. Because my prayer will redeem you. He knew all this. That that same day, the moment they catch him, this guy will walk away and he was supposed to be the CEO. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. The guy was going to walk away. Jesus knew that. Yet, he still sat there. In fact, you know the drama that ensued when he got to Peter. No, 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 don't wash my feet. No, no, no. You know, eye service. Don't wash my feet. Yeah, no, no. You are too big to be washing the feet of someone like me. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. If I all the prayer I prayed for you, will not work for you. It, it's best for you for me to wash your feet right now. I mean, when you bring into modern day context, these are guys you should look at, just get to work one morning, and just tell them, Peter, you're sacked. Fired. Alright, so just get your stuff right now. I need to put this place in shape before I depart. Not with people like you. Today, you will deny me three times. So why are you here? <laughs> Is that not what, what Jesus was supposed to do? Yeah, no, no, no. Not, I don't need people like you around here. After three years and a half, and you've been following me all over the place, and a little girl will approach you today and say, I don't know him. If you have experienced rejection before, 
when somebody will say, I don't know him, you know how it feels. You know how it feels. Jesus knew what he was going to face with Peter, yet he still loved him. Nathaniel was there. From the first day, they mentioned Jesus to him. His first statement was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I'm not very uh, convinced that that feeling left him totally. Jesus just loved him all the same. Because such feelings don't leave people. Right? Tribalism. All sorts of, you know, things, cards that people play. Have you forgotten James and John, the sons of Zebedee? Their mother actually came to play politics on their behalf. Who will sit at your right and your left? Those are the kind of people that Jesus put together and was loving them. That's, that's I mean, that's, uh, when you think about it, sometimes you just feel like, man, there's only a God that can love like that. Are you still with me? And I recognize this morning, some of us who work in offices, the kind of politics going on there is worse than PDP or APC. I'm telling you. In fact, the way you feel right now, like one of the disgruntled governors or senators, you want to jump ship. Just like God has not answered your prayer with another job. I'm serious. Statistics shows that, I mean, research shows that people don't, most of the time, leave companies. They leave people. Because the company itself is not a person. It is what we make out of the environment and culture of the workplace. Whether it's choking people or giving people life, that's what determines whether they will stay or not. For some people, it's not about pay. It's about environment. I hope you understand what I'm saying. The kind of politicking going around amongst just those 12 people, it's enough for Jesus to just wake up one day and say, you know what? If this Christianity will go beyond me, <laughs> I need to deal with these guys. Those are the kind of people he, he, he had together. Thomas. Thomas Didymus. Have you read about him before? Have you ever considered how the seed of doubt and unbelief had grown inside him? That Thomas was at Bethany in the house of Mary and Martha when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And then the person who raised Lazarus from the dead said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Thomas is. <laughs> resurrection and the life. We're... As far as Thomas was concerned, that guy was packaged. Lazarus was packaged. I'm serious. You know, some people, they, they attend a church. But yet the pastor talks and they do like this. Say another one. You think Thomas started doubting when Jesus resurrected? He had been doubting his person before then. Some of those things don't jump on people. Jesus loved him all the same. Can I say this to somebody here this morning? For some people, there's nothing you are going to do to gain their respect or acceptance or to make them believe in you. Stop trying. Just stop. Stop trying. There's nothing you are going to do to earn their belief. Stop trying. What else should Jesus do to make Thomas believe in him? He was with him. All the miracles. He saw everything. But yet, <laughs> when Jesus resurrected, this guy said, except I see, I will not believe. Show me your hand. I want to see the hole where they knocked the nail because I saw it when they were doing it. Have you thought about it? The kind of people that he had to cope with. And the Bible says, having loved his people in the world, he loved them to the end. When Jesus resurrected, 
is going to love with words. When Thomas said all those nonsense, all that Jesus said was, blessed are they that they did not see and yet believe. If it was some of us, we'll tell him, come. When I was here in the physical, you demonstrated this unbelief and all that. Now I'm a spirit. I resurrected. You are still doubting me. If I knock your head, your brain will knock. It won't work again. Get out of here. That's what you tell him. As in, why will Jesus have to convince him? Just take him out. Take him out. I have enough people who have believed. The women came to the tomb. They couldn't find They have believed. You, Thomas, after all that I've done. So there may be someone here this morning or this afternoon who is struggling, trying to make someone to believe in you. Stop struggling. There are some kind of people, there's nothing you are going to do to make them believe in you. If you like, die and resurrect. They will still doubt your person. Are you still with me this morning? When we talk about the unlovable, these are the kind of people that Jesus had to cope with. He had 40 people on his team. The one who called him names. For some people here, just because of where you came from, Jesus came from Nazareth. Just tell yourself, it's not going to hurt me again. They did it to Jesus. You appeared before your in-laws to be. And he said, where are you from? He mentioned the name of your village and then trouble started. And then relationship failed. And since then, you have been wishing that you were not born from that place. Why? Leave it. Leave it to God. Leave it to God. Leave it to God. It's not a sin to be, from, to be born from any state in Nigeria. Everywhere, people have, you know, prejudices. They have, they have something to say. Like I was saying in the last service, <laughs> I don't know the name of Pastor T's village, but somebody in this church said, ah, that place that Pastor T, you know, came from. Like, our father warned her that if you bring anybody to this house from that village, I will disown you. This lady is from a do state. Pastor T is from a do state. And the man said, if you bring anybody from that village, and the village is a do state. You can imagine. In southwest here, some people, I mean, my parents started warning us about Ijebu people since I was like this. Since I was like this. My dad will say it. I will not bless your wedding if you bring an Ijebu person. And I wonder, even as a child, I used to think, they tried to just sell to you a terrible mindset about people. Now I'm saying this, this afternoon, for the sake of some people here. Most of us here are in the new generation. That is not kingdom mindset. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Don't judge people based on where they came from. I hope you understand what I'm saying. We need to be delivered from all that. Jesus loved Nathaniel all the same. Even though Nathaniel said nothing good can come out of Nazareth. So we have all these different kind of people surrounding Jesus. If we take it to the family, you see the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And the kind of people that surrounded him from family. Horrible people. People who cut him to pieces. People who, you know, sell him and collect change. <laughs> all kinds of... So we... we, we we have all kinds of people in this world and God wants us to love them all the same. And I know it's tedious. It's not going to be easy. And that's why we're discussing it today. Because we must believe the word of God and find a way to accommodate the truth in our minds. God knows everything. I tried to unpack the story of Jesus and his team for you to know the kind of people Jesus was coping with. So if he said we should love, he understands it. It's not like uh, he didn't understand. He, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. So there are all kinds of people in the world, the ones that 
you just realize that you don't click with them ordinarily. There are others that no matter how much you try, they just can't seem to stand you. They won't just be able to stand you. There, 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 there are all kinds of people in the world. I have some fictitious, you know, some, you know, some, I just put some names here. One, are they who just don't fit your description of a nice person? There's nothing you can do about it. You have assumed that the guy is not nice and the guy believes he's nice. So you won't love him because it's not nice. It's Justin, who thinks the world revolves around him. Sometimes it's good to feel big, but some other times when you feel too big, you occupy other people's space. Alright? And you hurt them. And God still wants us to love those kind of people. And Agatha, who is saucy and opinionated, who dominates every conversation and encroaches, knows no boundary. And I have, you know, no respect for boundary. Shegun, who is the office bully? Who bullies everybody? Just got a promotion and we cannot rest again. Or sometimes your spouse, who it seems became crabby and selfish from the moment you said, I do. You know, in certain marriages, it looks like the moment you say, I do, the devil push a button inside somebody. So all that romantic love and everything... I do. Boom. They just change. I don't know about you, but I've met a few. Because the person says, look, while we're courting, he's always very nice. You know, before I call, he has answered. Now, I, I, I. it looks like he doesn't have my number on his phone again because I call all the time and he doesn't just pick my phone. So it looks like the moment you say, I do, Something push a button on their inside. And for a lot of men, this is when we need to be careful. Truly. Because some people have this accomplishment mindset. That the moment I marry a woman, that's a goal. I've met that goal. Let's move on to other goals. Yeah. So we just check that list. Marry a wife. Married. So... What's the next on the list? Make your first billion. Yeah, let's run after it. So, the woman is just like an accomplishment. Not, not really a soulmate. Not, you know, not someone that you want to walk the journey of life together. Some of that times, it's vice versa. A woman gets married, and that's just the end of it. Doesn't do anything again. You know, to 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 make to make the marriage work or to make the husband feels like I have a woman at home. And yet the Bible says we should still love them. Look at your neighbor, say I love you with the love of Jesus. Say your neighbor, I love you the way you are. Tell them you need to change though. Praise God. There are some people who snub, who act superior to anyone that they consider has not been classy. So, even though it's not your fault, the school you went, but they want to know. So they can use it to judge you. Yeah. They check out what you wear. If it doesn't have a logo, then you don't belong. And God help you if you like traditional wear. Because you are in a class of your own, truly. <laughs> because when, now they're creating logos for them too, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so all kinds of people that we cannot love, the Bible has a, a broad category, categorization of people. From Proverbs chapter 9 and and. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, you see a broad categorization of people in the world. You have uh, uh, the wise person, the foolish person, and the wicked person. These are broad categorizations. And wherever people will fall into, the Bible says we should still love them. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. This was Paul asking for prayers. And be glorified. Just as it, it, it is with you. 
and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith. So here Paul spoke about unreasonable and wicked men. I love to say, just being nice, that wicked people are outside of the church, unreasonable people are in the church. Can I say that again? I said wicked people are outside of the church. Unreasonable people are in church. Ordinarily, a Christian should not be wicked because evil has been taken out when we gave our life to Christ. But we can have very unreasonable expectations of people. When you stretch your ability to be unreasonable to the limit, you become wicked. The upper limit, it becomes wickedness. But all of us have a tendency to be unreasonable. Truly. And we, we start to hurt each other deeply when we begin to stretch our imagination with our ability to be unreasonable. You just believe people should perform. I remember, I mean, having a chat with one of us here. Uh, was that Friday or so? Just, just, you know, hanging out with a friend of mine here. My wife and his wife was also there. And we were just having a chat. And he was telling us a story about how uh, um, he hired a driver. And... <laughs> you know, we're talking about how people who work with you try your patience. His story is a classic. Let me tell you. He had a driver just a, a few weeks ago, and he said, They were driving on this road, and he said, Let's um, go to O and O filling station. The guy entered uh, um, Conoy. And he said, no, I said, oh, and oh. And then the guy continued. And maybe he was trying to enter MRS. Ah. So the guy asked him, for the first time, he said, it dawned on him, he asked him, did you go to school? The guy said, no. He said, at that point, something just melted away from him. That anger that was coming. The moment he asked the question, did you go to school? And the guy said, no. The thing just, just melted away. And he said, at that point, he learned something. That the Holy Spirit just revealed that illiteracy was a revelation by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he said, he never believed that a Nigerian, almost 30 years of age, that there are Nigerians who cannot read or write. And I said, welcome home. Because he had lived abroad for a while. So, welcome home. When we understand people, it helps us to accommodate their, you know, excesses or wrongdoings. It shapes our expectation of them. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Just knowing that this guy cannot even read O and O changed everything. So now he said, he told himself that God, you send this guy into my life to help me because I don't have any measure of patience and I know but this guy, I'm not going to sack him. We will work together. So now I know my assignment. When we are going somewhere, I don't have to mention the place. Just direct. And he said, I'm, he was also trying to see how I can get him to go for adult education, evening classes, so that the guy can get better. And I f- felt very proud of him. I know some people here will say, look, I can't be paying an illiterate to drive me. I look for somebody else and help me from afar. Whichever one you choose, just know that God wants you to love that kind of a person, even the way they are. Understanding the inadequacies, understanding the fact that God still loves them and you have to love them and do something about uh, their, their, their situation. So I was saying that there are all kinds of people in the world 
And God wants us to still love them. The unreasonable people, the wicked people. Some people in the church also are tending towards wickedness because they are inability to be on. I mean, to be reasonable is being overstretched. How do you explain when a, a, a spouse will choose not to speak to you all day and then come back in the evening and say, Where's my food? Or they don't even ask for the food, but you cooked it. And then they came home and looked at the table and walked away. The only thing you can do at that point is say, God, this is your burnt offering. Eat it. You said I should love and I've, I've loved. God, you must eat this one. <laughs> and you just assume that your sacrifice has been accepted. And then you go to bed. Praise God. And then you tell yourself, and this person says he's born again. What kind of born again? Which kind of born again? Which brand of born again is this one? Is the brand of born again that is highly unreasonable, yet has a seed of righteousness on his inside. So we have Christians that we call Christians with special needs. For whom extra grace is required, if not, you will misbehave. And we need to recognize that God still wants us to walk with such people. God still wants us to walk with such people. How to love the unlovable. There's a critical truth that I must put forward today. And that's that the kind of love we're talking about is not the emotional kind of love. The kind of love we're talking about when we talk about loving the unlovable, it's supernatural. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. Bible, you know, listed all those fruits. And when you talk about fruit, fruit will come from a tree. A tree comes from a seed. Am I saying the truth? I said, am I saying the truth? When the Spirit of God comes into a man and a woman, what happens? That Spirit wants to bear fruit in me. So we say that the fruit of the Spirit is love. This kind of love. Ladies and gentlemen, it's practically impossible for anyone to love like this except you allow the Spirit of God to walk inside you. Loving the unlovable is supernatural. It's the nature of God that we're allowing to grow out of us and to show forth through us. It is the fruit of your recreated, regenerated human spirit. By that I mean it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your spirit that brings forth the fruit of love. That kind of love. That God wants us to demonstrate in this kind of with this kind of people. So we must understand that and know it very, very well. Know it very, very well. We love because He first loved us. First John chapter 4, verse 19. So the God kind of love is supernatural. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not based on emotions. And the truth is that the, the, the secret to loving the unlovable is to let God fill our love account with his love. And God fills my love account with his love. Then, I begin to demonstrate the capacity and the, the ability to love the unlovable. Now that we have recognized that this is supernatural and this is not ordinary, can I give two suggestions on how to allow this supernatural thing to flow from your inside. Two suggestions. One, make a decision. Make a decision. Decide to love. How do I cause a release of this supernatural flow called love from me, especially loving in this kind of manner? 
I have to decide. Loving the unlovable is not an emotion. It's a decision. If you wait for emotional encouragement, you'll never do it. Because the person I'm telling you to love, there's no promise that they won't hurt you again this week. So there will never be a time that you have enough emotional appeal to love them. No. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5 to 8, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man we won't die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He said, for a righteous man, at least we can get maybe one or two people that will die for them. But for a wicked person, nobody will die. So, there will never be a time that I will have enough emotional appeal to love a boss that does not know boundary and talks anyhow. A boss that uses the half word on you. You feel like returning the half word to them, isn't it? Yeah. It's not an exclusive preserve of, of junior colleagues. So, you give, I give back. Simple. So that maybe you think about it and you see how it feels. That's what some people say. I want you to also feel it the way I feel it when you say it. But some people are concurring with me as I'm saying it now. But you must not leave this service concurring with me. That's what I'm saying. You must leave this service with an, a different perspective to it. Jesus hung on the cross. The Bible says he loved to the end. While he was on the cross, there were people saying funny things about him. At least he's already on the cross. For some people, ah, at least I'm already on the cross. Let me let them also know how it feels. And tell somebody, you don't have a brain. If you do, you won't see somebody on the cross like this in kind of pain and still be talking. And if I open my mouth and speak, thunder will strike you. <laughs> at least as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, it has ended. I'm already there. <laughs> you know that when, you, when people are sacked from their office, it's hard to pack your things and live quietly, isn't it? As you are packing it, you are giving somebody a curse. You take your own. You take your own. So I pack. At least he that is down needs no fair snowfall. Me, I'm already dead. So but Christ hung on the cross, and instead of a curse, it was still blessing. He was still blessing. He was still praying for them that God don't take this to their charge. Forgive them. He loved, the Bible says he loved to the end. He loved to the end. So I said, make a decision. Know that love, loving the unlovable, is not an emotion, it's a decision. I will love. I choose to love. I choose to love. And secondly, accompany your decision with tangible acts of kindness and service. Jesus washed the feet of the disciple just before he passed on. Simply. Showing an act of kindness and service. This is my recommendation. That after this service, you make a, a list, if possible, of people that you know you are finding it so difficult to love. The first act of kindness or service that you can ever give to the unlovable person is prayer. It's prayer. It's prayer. Don't think of your enemy and the only prayer that comes to your mind is fall down and die. It's a personal belief. I don't believe God answers that kind of prayer. Personally. Yeah. Pray. Let me give you one. One prayer. Lord Jesus. This man called my husband is hurting me. I'm not sure what to do about him. This heart is getting deeper. Sometimes I feel like calling him a coconut head. 
but because of your word. You know, if it's left to me, we'll scatter this thing. Lord, give me grace. And Lord, I pray for him. Have mercy on him. Give him wisdom. Touch his life. Bless his business. Preserve his life. In Jesus' name. You start to pray it grudgingly and walking away. After a while, you realize that the person you are praying that God should bless his business and preserve his life, God starts to make room in your heart to see some of the things he's doing differently. One time I was praying, praying for someone, and the Holy Spirit confronted me. I said, what do you think? He said, if your sister has malaria and she vomits on you, what will you do? He said, I have one sister, our last born. I'm the second to the last. So if that one has malaria and vomits on you, what will you do? I said, I will help her and I will carry her and clean my body. So the Holy told me, he said, if only you will see some of the people around you hurting you and misbehaving as being emotionally sick and they need help. The same way you will carry that one with physical malaria and help, you will also help them. And take, you won't take what or some of the things they are saying seriously. You will see them as vomit that you just need to clean away. And vomit does not stay on anybody's, anyone's body forever. You just wash it and move on. It's ushered me to a new level in my dealings with people. Because some people don't believe that some people have emotional problems. That's why they are behaving the way they are behaving to you. A boss that condemns everything you do and is carrying emotional baggage because his wife has moved out. He's not happy and he doesn't want anybody around him to smile. So it's not because your work is not good. He's not happy. And if you are smiling around him, you'll be more angry. So let all of us be sad so that we can all be okay. And when you see that from a different perspective, there's just a way that God just helps us to, to just have a different perspective and be able to move on. Last thing this afternoon, if you choose to go about it your own way, Proverbs chapter 9, when you read from verse 7 to 9, scripture talks about the fool and how you should handle him. I'll do that another time. The wicked man, he said, rebuke not a scoffer. If not, he will hate you. So you say, somebody said one word to you and that one word, anytime you remember it, you cry. Now, you now decided to confront the person and the person gave you five. One for the rest of the week. So your cry will increase. And God will tell you, did I send you? I said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Hold the hand of someone this, this afternoon. Just hold the hand of someone. Hold the hand of someone. Father, we thank you for healing. And we thank you for strength and grace. We thank you for strength and grace. We thank you for strength and grace. Somebody say after me, say, I choose to love. Say it again, say, I choose to love. It says the love of God is in my heart. It's flowing through me to everyone around me. So I'm an agent of love. I carry the love of God everywhere I go. I choose to love. Right now, this is what I want you to do. If you don't want to say that, you can do it under your breath. Everyone that you are struggling to love right now, who has hurt you, who has done stuff to you, I want you to start to mention their name. And as you mention, you say, I choose to love you. Mention a name and say, I choose to love you. Mention a name and say, I choose to love you. There's grace here right now that is coming upon you to love those people. Yeah. There's grace coming upon you right now to love those people. Just mention names. Some of us will mention names of organizations and just say, I choose to love. Mention names of individuals and I choose to love. I choose to love. I choose to love. Grace is coming upon you right here this afternoon to love those people. Let those names play out of your mind and say, I choose to love. I choose to love. I choose to love. The capacity to love them, God is giving you right now. The grace to love them and see them differently, God is giving you right now. Say, I choose to love. I choose to love. 
I choose to love. I choose to love. God knows you are struggling, but say it. Say it. Let your story be like the story of that man that Jesus asked, do you believe that I can do this? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my doubt. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what we're doing right now. Somebody is saying, Lord, I believe. I choose to love this person. I choose to love this person. When I have, where I still have struggles, help me, Jesus. But I choose to love. I'm making a decision to love. I'm making a decision to love. I'm leaving everything in your hand. You said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So handle it your own way. But I choose to love. I pray for them. If that's the only thing I can do, I do. If I can wash their feet, I will do it. Meeting a need or the other. But I choose to love. I choose to love. I choose to love. I choose to love. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we receive your grace over everyone under the influence of this service. Everyone present, everyone watching on the internet. As we have declared in your presence, choosing to love, let your healing power flow right now. Let grace be released over everyone. Give us a new capacity to love. Grace to let go. Grace to forgive. Grace to allow you to play your role. Grace to play our own part. Thank you for the grace, for acts of kindness, for acts of service, and for prayer, even for people who hurt us. We thank you, Father. Thank you for peace in homes. Thank you for grace coming upon somebody this afternoon for a new level of increase. Of